Okay, here's, we're going to get a little bit of a running start at this. So I'm actually going to back us up into Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to see a whole bunch of stuff that God did. Just, Paul just gives this incredible list of stuff that is true. It's not, he's not telling people to do anything. He's not saying that we need to live this particular way. He's just listing stuff that God did. Then he gets into chapter 2, and tucked into what you just read are actually three images of what it means to be the church. Three images that the people at Ephesus would have understood because there was this massive temple there to a goddess named Artemis, and Paul draws on what this very sort of religiously uh, competent city and church would have understood, and he uses those to make points about what it is to be the church. So if you've got a Bible there and you want to either swipe over or flip a page, I'm going to start in chapter 1. And we're just going to take this some paragraphs at a time. Stop and highlight a few things and then we'll, we'll go forward. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will to the faithful saints, saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Just to recap, Paul says that he, God, has blessed us, that he's chosen us, that he is predestined to adopt us through Jesus Christ, and that he's done it all for a particular purpose. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in Christ Jesus. So why did God bless us, choose us, adopt, and predestined to adopt us? The praise of his glorious grace. That's the reason. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. So we've been redeemed by his blood, forgiven of our sins. He's lavished or richly poured out on us all of his grace with wisdom and understanding. He's made known to us the mystery of his will, and he's brought together his plan at the right time. Why? The praise of his glory. Verse 12, or 13. In him, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. So we've received an inheritance. He's worked out everything in agreement to the purpose of his will, that he would bring that inheritance upon us. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And the reason, again, the praise of his glory. The Bible tells you three times in quick succession the same thing is probably worth paying attention to. 
We read something like Ephesians chapter 1 and we think all of those yous predominantly mean me, like singular. Like Paul writes this and he's talking about me as an individual, that God chose me and blessed me and predestined me and sealed me and he's given me an inheritance and he's made clear to me his will and his purpose and that's to the praise of his glory. But Paul's writing a letter to a group of people and he's saying that God chose you, plural, predestined you, blessed you, adopted you, sealed you, forgiven you, redeemed you, given you an inheritance. Not me, the individual, but us, the church, collectively. And he's done so for a very particular purpose. Not predominantly for our blessing. Not predominantly so that our kind of like social status would increase. Not predominantly so that we would just be happier or more joyful or live better lives. He's done all of that for his church to the praise of his glory. That the glory of his grace and his goodness would literally just sort of like explode out into the universe and bounce around everywhere that the world would see just how wonderful God is, just how great his grace is, just how glorious and worthy of honor and worship that he is. But that's not all that God has done. Jump down to verse 20. He exercised his power in Christ by raising him from the dead, seating him at his, at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler in authority, power, and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, to the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. We were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the uncircumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting in the commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile to God in one body through the cross by which he put hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 
In him you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Holy Spirit. We were dead and he made us alive. We were far off and he brought us near. We were disparate and different, but he brought us together as one people. This is what God has done for his people to the praise of his glory and the praise of his grace. And there are three pictures put in there. That the church is God's, Christ's body. That those who are redeemed are the handiwork of the Lord. And that we are a temple. I just want to spend a couple minutes talking about what that means. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are the body of Christ. The literal hands and feet and heart and mind and eyes of Jesus in the world today. Paul does not say you need to do certain things so that you might be the body of Christ. He does not say that, that God saved you so that you might act in a particular way and therefore be the body of Christ. No, he says you were saved by God to the praise of his glory and his grace and you just are the body of Christ. You are the hands and the feet in the heart, in the eyes, in the mind of Jesus Christ in the world right now. And in the same way that when I was born, I did not have to earn the last name Fritzen. I did not come out on August 29th, 1985, and my mom and dad looked at me and said, I can't wait to find out if you deserve to be a Fritzen. I was born, and I was a Fritzen. And 37 years later, I live out of that identity and I do things and I say things that just are because I'm a Fritzen. And Paul is saying, you are the body of Christ. People would come to Ephesus and they would buy these little statues of the goddess Artemis. It's a huge industry in the city. In fact, in Acts chapter 19, you read the story of Paul getting crossways with an artisan who makes these little statues named Demetrius, and it leads to a riot in the city. That's how important these little images of Artemis were. Paul tells us that to be the body of Christ is to be the physical expression of Jesus Christ in the world today. That's who you are. If someone were to drive by this morning and look into the stands here, what they would see is a gathering of people. But what this people represents is the ongoing presence and ministry of Jesus Christ in the world today. We don't have to earn that. We don't have to act a certain way so that God might see us as the body of Christ. No, he saved us and we are. And the reason, the praise of his glory. That's it. Not so that the world might think of us as good people. Not so that we might do certain things and solve certain problems and draw attention to ourselves and people might say, oh, look at that church. They actually get it. No. We're brought together as the body of Christ so that the praise of God's glory might explode and resound out into the universe. And that's it. That's the whole reason. It's who we are and we live out of that. And then there's a second picture. The second picture is that we are God's handiwork. Verse 10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Literally, you are the artwork of God. Poema is the word. You've maybe heard people talk about that before. That when God 
pulled together the church, not just you as an individual, you're pretty special, lots of cool things about you, but Paul's talking about the whole body here. You're the workmanship of Christ. Like you're his artwork. You are the beauty of Jesus cast out into the world to the praise of God's glory. And you don't have to earn it. Look, again, I didn't come out on August 29th and my mom looked at me and said, ah, I can't wait to decide if I think he's cute or not. I mean, she might have. I've technically never asked. But, but Paul says, you are the beauty and the artwork of God in the world today that you might show something of the wonder of God and of Christ to the world. And you don't have to earn that. So every time you say a kind word to someone, every time you pass over slander, every time you choose not to engage in the dumpster fire in the comments under the article, every time you do an act of generosity, every time you care for someone who is in need, every time you encourage someone who's discouraged, every time you come alongside somebody who's walking through a difficult season, you're portraying something of the beauty of who God is into the world. And you don't do those things so that God might look beautiful. You do those things because he saved you and God is wonderful. And the praise of his glory and his grace pours forth from those things. That's who we are as the church. And the last one is that we are God's temple. Built together on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, Paul says, standing upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, and that the Spirit knits this group of people together as the place where God uniquely dwells. Again, people in Ephesus understood what a temple meant. The temple to Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was significantly longer than this football field. It was about one and a half times the width of this football field. It had 127 of these columns that circled the outside of it. People would pour into the city of Ephesus two times a year in order to take part in these religious festivals that took place there. They understood what it was to be in the place of this temple and to have something of like in their, in their mind, the presence of Artemis there with them. Paul says, no, you collected church. You're the unique dwelling place of Christ in the world. You're the unique dwelling place of God in the world. Now, he's omnipotent. That's the, or he's omnipresent. That's the fancy theological word that just means that he's everywhere. But there's something unique about the way that he dwells in and among his people. Look, it is not the fact that we all live in the same neighborhood that brings us together this morning. It's not the fact that we all have ideological similarity or agreement on everything. It's not that we view society and civil life in the exact same way. It's not that this is some kind of campaign rally or that we all cheer for the same team. I mean, there's a family over here wearing dolphin stuff. <laughs> Fins up. No, it... If someone were to come by and say, why is this group of people here? It would be for none of those other reasons. In fact, you could be 
in the middle of a situation today where you think to yourself, I actually have significant disagreement with someone else in this body. We disagree on the way life and Christian faith should play itself out in society. We disagree on some second or third hand theological thing. You might have differences in the ways that you think your family should relate. You might just have actual like relational rift with someone because of something that's happened in your friendship or in your relating with one another. It's possible that you've recently left another church because of some kind of disagreement. You may be sitting here this morning thinking to yourself that you might want to leave this particular church for some reason. You can do that, but you will never leave God's collected body, the church, pulled together by God for the praise of his glory and for the praise of his grace that explodes out into the universe from his people. That's who we are. And as God's temple, knit together by the Holy Spirit, standing on the foundation of Jesus Christ, his presence uniquely dwells among us, we're told. We are the body of Christ. We are the beauty and the artwork of Christ. We are the temple of God. That's who we are and we live out of that. And so the charge this morning is this. It would be easy for us to get together in a setting like this and to think, hey, we've got everybody pulled together. Here's what we need to do. We need to rally everybody behind LCF. We need to rally everybody behind some new cause or some new push or some new vision for the next five to ten years. We need to pull everybody together and bang the drum so that LCF does something. And my urge to you this morning is this. I want us to be a church where the main thing is the main thing, and the main thing is not Liberty Christian Fellowship. The main thing is the, is the praise of the glory and the grace of God out into the world. And so we're together here this morning, not because we think LCF is so great, not because we think necessarily that like, you know, our church is really cool and we want everybody to be together and to see how cool our church is. We're here this morning because we are the collected people of God who have been blessed and chosen and predestined and redeemed and forgiven and have had grace lavished upon us. And it's all about the praise of the glory of the grace of God. Amen. That's who we are. If you're looking for like some, like let's take that hill over the next five years, the hill that we're going to take over the next five years is Calvary. Like that's the hill. Jesus on the cross. That is the main thing. That's who we are and that's what we want to be about. And so my, my urge to you this morning is this. No matter what's happening, no matter what happens in the life of our church, in the life of our city, or in the life of our nation. Let's keep the praise of the grace, or the praise of God's glory and of his grace as the main thing, and let that be what resounds out of LCF. It's who we are, and we live out of that identity. Amen? Amen. I uh, want us to take a minute and pray for whatever that ambulance is headed to. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but someone's in trouble and uh, we're all gathered here, and we should pray for them. So I'm going to do that, and then we're going to finish our service and worship together. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to gather and to worship. Thank you for redeeming us, God. Thank you that you sent Jesus to the earth 
that he died on the cross, that you lavished grace upon us. God, that you have saved us, that you have redeemed us, that you have forgiven us, that you've brought us together as your hands and feet, God, that there's something of your beauty through this flawed, broken, oftentimes stumbling body of believers, that there's something of the work of Christ that's happening through us imperfectly as we're empowered by your spirit. God, thank you that your presence dwells uniquely among us. And God, I pray that as a church, going forward for the next 50 years, that when people think of LCF, the primary thing that they think of is Jesus Christ. That when people talk about this church, that the thing that they talk about is not necessarily our programs or our branding. It's not necessarily a person at this church, God, but the thing that they talk about is the glory and the grace of the gospel. And that as is your purpose for your people the world over, what resounds out of this place would be the praise of your glory and of your grace. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.